in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. Alex Smith announced his retirement from the NFL yesterday. Ed, I would be okay with opposing fans cheering for Alex Smith after what he went through to come back and play last season. Well, it must have been incredible, which it was for you to have a positive thought on anything. So I'd also be okay with uh, the, and I think Jim Trotter tweeted this, that the Comeback Player of the Year honor be named for him. If anyone saw the documentary, if anyone saw what he went through just to get back to be a normal life of walking uh, to where, you know, you're not in a wheelchair your whole life or, or, you know, lose a leg and all the stuff he went through, I would name I would name the trophy after him. Because I, I, I can't believe, and look, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know every comeback player of the year, what he went through to get there. But uh, odds that the books are he's leading, the, he's leading the field in terms of what he had to go through to be a comeback player of the year. He, he doesn't. It doesn't currently have a name, right? Like, there's no, no player. No, it's just comeback player of the year. You should just name it for him. Yeah, it's comeback player of the year. Okay. Just name it for him. Yeah, that, that's a pretty easy one to do. Although, now that I've looked it up here, Chad Pennington is the only person to win it twice. So maybe it should be named after Chad Pennington. Oh, God. <laughs> Next question. That's crafty wording right there. I give you credit. <laughs> the Yankees are 5 and 10. Dang. They cannot beat the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, it's only 15 games in the season, but I think it's the worst start the Yankees have had in over 20 years. Um, so going into the season, it was basically, all right, the Dodgers are good, the Padres should be good, and the Yankees are sort of the third team there. Are, are we sitting here looking at it as though the Yankees aren't in that elite status of teams right now? I hope we are. Is it is it weird that as much as I've despised the Yankees all these years, like now I don't even care they're that bad. Like, you know, like if they're if they're good or in first place, it's easy to root against them. But now it's like, yeah, they're five and ten, not any good. Like, so who cares about them? Like I've kind of taken that kind of approach with them. And I used to like Giants, Yankees, the typical ones Dodger fans would hate. Like, but now it's like, eh, I don't care. They're not, they're not any good. Well, that and they, they haven't actually like made it to the World Series in a long time. Right. Right. Like, that's like, you know, the Astros keep beating them, just so everybody knows. But, like, they, what, the last time they went to the World Series, was it 2009? Is that the last time they went? Like, it's been, it's been a while since the Yankees actually played for a World Series. So, even though, like, I mean, listen, the last five years of baseball, the three best teams have been the Dodgers, the Astros, and the Yankees. But the Yankees couldn't, they they could never make it to the actual World Series. They kept getting beat by either the Red Sox or the Astros, and now the Tampa Bay Rays can beat them whenever they want. So they've been good, they just haven't actually gotten to the World Series or won it, so it's kind of easy to forget about them being one of the best teams in baseball recently. What do you think has happened, uh, or do you think this is kind of a sign of things to come with Aaron Judge? Yeah, it's it's curious because like like the Yankees roster is the, the the lineup they use is kind of all similar in that they have a lot of guys that are home run or nothing hitters. Yes, yeah, and judge those guys. Yeah, yeah, and and like even they go against Rudnett Odor, who's basically mm-hmm. that, but a but a much worse version. So it's it to me it feels like 
they'll be fine offensively, but they're also going to have a lot more bigger slumps like they are right now than most teams because a lot of their guys are sort of the all-or-nothing type hitters that are more popular in baseball today. And when you right. have a lineup full of those guys, it's, you know, if they all go 0-4 for 4 with three strikeouts, you, you're not scoring any runs that day, and that's, you know, possible when that's your lineup. What do you think? Four Houston Astros will join the team in Colorado. So the Houston Astros had five guys go on the injured list for health and safety protocols. Four of them are coming back. Alex Bregman, Jordan Alvarez, uh, Martin Maldonado, and Robel Garcia. Jose Altuve is the one of the five that is not joining the Astros in Colorado today. So he's the one. There has still been there's still been no official information, but it certainly sounds like Jose Altuve tested positive and the other four were close contacts and had to be held out. Now, again, we don't have any information on that. The Astros and Major League Baseball have have said nothing about why these guys are out. And on top of that, why the Astros kept playing when the team like the Twins did not keep playing. So it's it looks like the Astros are going to get almost all their guys back, but it's still a... Basically, what we've learned from this is Major League Baseball, maybe they do have a plan that makes sense, but they're not sharing it with the rest of the world whenever a team has people test positive for COVID. Well, it's just in time for your team to climb out of last place, my friend. That's uh, about time. Three three back of the uh, surging Seattle. Isn't it, also, isn't it also time? I know they beat the Dodgers last night, but isn't it also time for Seattle to take its dive? <laughs> I mean, it's been 17 games or 11-6. Every year it's like, yeah, just bet the hell out of Seattle for like two weeks and then just like, never bet them again. It almost might be that time, but it, it's it, – I mean, we talked about this yesterday. There's no consistency, it seems like, with who's paused and who's not. So if Altuve's had it and you had at least those four guys who were close contact – how is that any different? Like, I don't, I'd love to know, like, the guy, the czar at Major League Baseball who's deciding who's paused and who's not, and why certain teams are paused and why aren't some. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, like, they, I'm sure they have reasoning behind it. They just don't share it publicly. So we're left here, like, the Phillies played last night, where they had, what did they have, two players and three coaches that yeah. had to go on the COVID list. And there's no explanation as to, you know, why the Phillies had to play last night and why the Twins didn't have to play a couple nights ago. So I'm sure they, I I would believe they have legitimate reasons as to why teams are playing and why other teams get to pause. They just don't tell us. So we're left to look around and say, oh, okay, I guess we're playing through with with five guys from the AAA team tonight. So it's strange. Next question. The Houston Rockets uh, were in Miami, and one of their players, Sterling Brown, was hit in the head with a bottle outside of a Miami nightclub. Uh, He is expected to be fine. Uh, No real issue there for his recovery. But I guess the question is, what's he doing outside of a nightclub during an NBA season when they're still in a pandemic? Well, because he's playing the Heat and we know where they exist. I don't even know if that state understands or is ever a pandemic. You, you can go out two places on the road, there and against the Mavericks. Like, if you're in those two towns, it's time to party, man. It's time to go out. Any other town, you're not going to be able to go out anyway. So you get to Miami, these guys are probably like, hey, get the game over. we got to get out. We haven't been out all year. Uh, it's as, I mean, it's, it's silly, but that's kind of perhaps the right explanation because obviously – Got when they're on the road. I'm sure guys go to clubs. I'm sure guys are out. You know, I mean, let off steam after a game. I don't think they all just 
go back and sit and watch film in their hotel room. There's like so many games they've got to uh, get out sometimes. So, I mean, think about it. If now if this was done and I don't know if they were playing at the Lakers and he did this, then I think there'd be a bigger issue with like, what are you doing out there? But in that state, I'm sure they said, yeah, go on out. I'm not the coaches, but he was probably welcome. It's just, uh, I, I guess because it's maybe it's because it's the Rockets and they're terrible. They're not going to make the playoffs. Nobody like if the Rockets all of a sudden couldn't play the rest of the season, like nobody would be nobody would bother. But like, imagine if the Nets all of a sudden like, ah, oh, James Harden was at a Miami nightclub, tested positive for COVID, and now he's going to miss the first round of the playoffs. Like, yeah. yeah. To me, to me, it's like we're not out of it yet. So if you're a professional athlete and your team's on the road, you still have the personal responsibility to your players, to, to, your, to your teammates, to your team, to not be doing things that are going to get you to test positive and end up, oh, well, we can't play anymore because he went and got hit in the head with a bottle outside of a Miami nightclub. Tyler, we've had, and it was a different sport, but we've had guys, I believe, dress women up in the jersey of the team to sneak them in. So when <laughs> these things happen, like it's not to, like fall over fainting that they're out when they shouldn't be out. <laughs> that Which was one of the all-time great moves, by the way. I'm sure you appreciated that a lot. And then the Raiders signed that guy. Then, so, yes. the, the, the cherry on the top was the Raiders have announced the signing. Wait a minute, yeah. isn't, that guy who, isn't that the guy who dressed up the girl? And then he got arrested for street racing a few months later. Well, so, yeah. Yeah. phenomenal career. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm related to him. <laughs> Man, you know, that's a great question. The Brooklyn Nets will be without seven players tonight against the Pelicans. So, you have... Kevin Durant is going to miss this game due to the thigh injury he got a couple nights ago. Uh, so even if that's not serious, they're still holding him out for uh, a game here. They had two players placed on the COVID list yesterday, and then they have four other players, including James Harden, that are injured. Um, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but are NBA teams going to be healthy for the playoffs? Like, it seems like every other day there's a significant NBA player that's hurt or there's an injury scare. I don't care about any of that. I just don't want Steph Curry to, like, get sick because <laughs> I want to watch him, like, every night because what he's doing is beyond stupid ridiculous. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that I'm sure Silver's holding his breath. Here we go again, though, like you just said, two guys on the COVID list. So do all these leagues have different stipulations on when guys are shut down or not? It's, again, it just you go from league to league and team to team, and it's almost like they pick them out of a hat on who to sit and who to not. And, and baseball teams, that's the other thing. Obviously, baseball teams, you know, have a lot more players. They've got these guys sitting out in this, um, you know, waiting to play in the minor leagues or kind of at these camps now doing whatever they're doing. And yet, NBA teams, with not as much, you know, bodies to draw from, they still play as they get COVID. So I don't know what to make of any of that other than I'm sure Silver is really, again, like hockey in the avalanche. These, these commissioners must just be dreading when the phone rings because you can't extend the league that much, right? I mean, at some, at some point, you have to have your playoffs. You've got to get on with it. Um, so I think it'll be on time with the, with the NBA, but who knows? I mean, like I said, more guys who get this or get hurt, you know, there's, a, I guess, a potential to extend the season. Yeah, and it's because players can get vaccinated now. And it's, yeah. why, it's why we've seen the leagues, all of the leagues have tried to, like, encourage their players to get vaccinated. And because, listen, if your whole team is vaccinated, then... You don't have to worry as much about testing positive. You don't have to worry as much about all of a sudden you don't get to play anymore because, hey, everybody's vaccinated. You're good to go. And that's why, you know, people like Andrelton Simmons with the Angels not getting vaccinated. It, it, again, comes back to personal responsibility just for your own teammates, let alone the rest of the country.
Great question. Thanks, Thank Mark. you. All right. We haven't gotten to this in a couple of days, but I wanted to. Raleigh Worcester is transferring oh. to Utah. Uh, he left Utah State oh, yeah. to follow Craig Smith. Uh, Craig Smith is now trying to win the Pac-12 with Mountain West players because he also has David Jenkins. Yeah. Uh, but Raleigh Worcester, the guy we made fun of for not being able to shoot, now playing in the Pac-12. Is he good enough? Like, I just yeah. keep remembering the first yeah. game uh, between <laughs> between him and, and UNLV, and I think everyone's saying, boy, that kid yeah. shoots a lot, and he wasn't making any. So is he good enough? I, I mean, I, obviously Craig Smith does, and he knows the kid really well. He coached him in Logan, but... I David Jenkins, like I saw, he can shoot. I kind of got that. This one just seemed what I saw, and maybe I'm. I did look. We didn't watch every Utah State game. I get that. I kind of paused at this one for the Pac-12. You, Pac-12's got some decent teams at the top now with UCLA back. Oregon's always good. SC. So I thought they needed a little better player. It, Raleigh Worcester and David Jenkins are basically the exact opposite where David Jenkins is a really good shooter and nothing else, and Raleigh Worcester was a terrible shooter, but pretty much solid at everything else. Solid defender, solid passer, solid rebounder. The problem is he was solid in the Mountain West, and I don't know if that translates to the Pac-12 very well. So maybe, maybe Rollo Oyster's going to be good, but I don't know. It's not a good sign when Tyler's analysis, when Ed asks a question, is... (laughs) (laughs) Just a a high-pitched noise. All right, coming up next, we'll talk some UNLV basketball, and uh, I'll try to guess what their rotation is going to look like next season. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. Kevin Kruger is going to join us in about 10 minutes here, the new UNLV basketball coach in his first offseason here. Uh, with UNLV building out his roster. But before he comes on, we're going to speculate on his roster and what this is actually going to look like because I'm curious. I don't I don't really know who's who's going to be playing for this team or who's going to be starting for this team because I because here here's just a general assumption before we get into any of the actual players or positions. Like it's probably fair to assume. I don't know if promise is the right word, but Kevin Kruger got a lot of these transfers from the Big 12. Because he said, hey, there's going to be playing time for you here that you didn't have at Texas or Oklahoma or West Virginia. Well, yeah. I mean, like like when Calipari recruits someone, he hands them the sheet of all the max guys in the NBA and all the money they made. Kevin was very simply handed him a, a list with 10 names and said, those guys are all gone. So <laughs> when 10 guys go in the portal and you're never, you haven't played at your previous time, you're like, hey, there's, I, I can get minutes at this place. So, I mean, that's, again, again, that's one of the things you sell, right? If you're building a team and a lot of guys are leaving and everyone's in the portal, I would think one of the first things you say is, hey, you play 10 minutes there. If you play well and you work, you play 25 here. I, I mean, that's what I would sell at this point. They're not, they're not selling in-state tournament purse at this point. So you have, to, you have to play to your strengths. And your strength right now is there's a lot of opportunity to get minutes in this program and you know to make a nice college career for yourself. Listen, so, is there a wow. murder going on? That was awesome. What? That and me yelling "hello, hello, hello" is once again the press bo- the worst of the press box. Brought to you by Lotus. Yeah, my dogs were fighting. Good morning. <laughs> Jeez, what oh, is it? What happened? Can we yeah. get? Can we get? Can we get play by play? Oh, they were eating, and I don't know. Started fighting over who was licking whose bowl. 
Okay. Now I don't I feel bad about hello, hello. I didn't really see it. I just heard it. <laughs> uh, no, no but, I mean, you, I think I think you're right in that. Just jump right look, back into you, it. You 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 tell kids they're gonna play. What? Look, you know this rules. Number one thing kid cares about, right? How much am I playing? Like they want to know the role. How many? And some kids might say, "How many shots am I getting?" But you got to get off the bench to get your shots. So my guess is, right now, his main recruiting pitch is, "Come here, you're going to play." So on that idea, because I assume that's how he got most of these players to transfer to UNLV, I think there's going to end up being two big losers that if, on the UNLV roster, and I think the first one's going to come at the point guard spot because right now UNLV has two guys that can play point guard: Jordan McCabe. And Marvin Coleman. So McCabe transferred here from West Virginia after he complained about not getting to play at West Virginia. So you assume Jordan McCabe is one of those guys that was told, hey, there's playing time for you here. There is minutes for you to get, which would mean Marvin Coleman's not going to get those minutes. There's going to be a point guard competition of some sort between Coleman and McCabe, and the loser's not going to play very much because if the other one is any good – you're not, you, you're not putting in Marvin Coleman for 20 minutes if Jordan McCabe is a good point guard next season. So I think there's a good chance that one of those two is a big loser in terms of minutes next year. And then the other spot is power forward because UNLV has two front court spots. David Muoka is coming in, and he's the only center on the team. And he might only end up playing 20 minutes a game, but he's going to play because he's a defensive center and the only center. If Arthur Kaluma, if Arthur Kaluma comes to UNLV, you're talking about a top 50 recruit that plays power forward. UNLV got two power forwards in the transfer portal in Royce Ham and Victor Ewalker. If Arthur Kaluma's here and Arthur Kaluma is good, there's not going to be minutes for both Royce Ham and Victor Ewalker. Both are going to come off the bench, but in reality, probably only one of them is going to be able to play significant minutes. Now, if Kaluma comes and struggles, there'll be plenty of time for Ham and Ewalker. But if Kaluma's good, like you're playing him 30-plus minutes a night, and at least one of Ham or Ewalker is not getting many minutes. So I'll be fascinated to see how this plays out, but I think there's like a legitimate chance that some of these guys that transferred in don't actually end up playing big minutes because there's only so well, many spots to go around. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it does not make sense when you're bringing 10 guys in. I mean, they're not all playing, but I think in a lot of their minds is, hey— I can stay at Oklahoma. I can stay at Texas where they, you know, they're going to probably recruit over me. Maybe not, but in a lot of situations they will at Big 12 schools. But I'll take my chances going to a Mountain West school that's losing 10 guys, and I think I'm good enough. I was, you know, what are they now, four stars, and and they played at the Big 12. I think they all believe they're coming in and playing. I, I would as well if I were in their situation from where I was coming from. Uh, but sure, you're right. I mean, and again, Kaluma appears to completely still be the same mystery where if he's coming or not. But if he does and he's good and he lives up to his hype, um, yeah, some of the transfers are going to get their minutes cut. I still think they probably think it's a good move right now, though, because I don't know. A lot of them probably said if I stay where I'm at, I don't know how many minutes I'm ever going to get. Yes, it's much easier for them to win playing time here than it was going to be at Texas or Oklahoma or anything like that. No doubt about it. But at the end of the day, somebody still has to lose out because like, college basketball teams aren't really going to play a 10-man rotation. A lot of them don't even play nine-man rotations. Usually eight by the time the conference rolls around. When you start looking at this roster and how many guys there are, there are – there's going to be people that lose out. There's going to be people that transferred in that thought they were getting more minutes that aren't getting those minutes 
once we get towards the end of the season, and that'll be a, a curious thing to follow. Now, here would be my starting five today. Jordan McCabe would be the starting point guard coming from West Virginia. I assume he's going to be a solid starting point guard. To me, Justin Webster from Hawaii, I think you have to start that guy because he brings you the shooting. Like, if you don't he can make start a shot. Him, he can make a yeah. shot. If you don't start him, your starting five is going to be devoid of legitimate shooting. Uh, I think Nick Blake's got a chance to be the leading scorer on this team, so he's the other starter on the wing. If Arthur Kaluma does, in fact, come, he's starting at power forward because he's got the most upside to be a star player. And then I think David Muwaka probably starts at center, uh, but he might he might only end up playing 20 minutes a night instead of 30 or something like that. So it might be more of a, hey, we're starting you just sort of as a traditional center, and then we're going to play somebody else more. But that, to me, would be your starting five. Marvin Coleman's your backup point guard. Donovan Williams, the transfer from Texas, would be the first wing off the bench. And then one of Ham or Ewalker would be the first front court guy off the bench. And really, that's that's your rotation. That's your top eight. Maybe you're extending to nine players, but that's what it would be right now. Okay. I love doing this. You know this because absolutely we have no idea who his starters are or how they're going to play. So that starting lineup right there, do you agree? UNR, CSU, San Diego State, Boise, fifth maybe of, of um, what we know coming back. Yeah, that might be optimistic too. I mean, I, I think really? you're looking – I mean, you're looking – maybe Boise State's not as good because they're losing Alston. But, like, right. yeah, to me that's not a roster that is – Mountain West title contender roster. It's it's probably a roster that's going to be able to beat any of those teams on any given night because defensively they might end up being one of the top three teams in the conference if Kevin Kruger puts this together the way we think he might be putting it together. So yeah. there's a chance, but I, the offense to me, doesn't it doesn't look anywhere near good enough to actually contend for anything and even really be on the same level as Colorado State or Nevada, or San Diego State next season. So those three, probably going to be the top three. Boise State, Utah State, maybe. Like, UNLV will be in that conversation. Fresno State's probably in there, too. And, yeah, maybe they're the best of those teams in your fourth, but I think that would be optimistic at this point. So it's it's a starting lineup that it's – you can't say it's significantly better than what they had last year. Like You You know what we should do? You know what we should do? Kevin Kruger's come up. First question. You win in the conference? <laughs> you going to win the conference? <laughs> Joining us next, Kevin Kruger. <laughs> now to Akagorski. Gets stopped. Akagorski falls. Re- ball tipped. Now on the floor. Naughton gets tied up, and Rebels will have it on the alternating possession. They call a timeout. Wow. What? That's crazy. They gave, they gave Wyoming a timeout as the Rebels were grabbing the ball. Wow. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. And Lon Kruger erupts. Joining us now, head coach of the UNLV Running Rebels, Kevin Kruger. Kevin, good morning. How are you? What's up, Kevin? Good morning. How are you guys doing? <laughs> we are good. We are good. Listening to the uh, best uh, rants of John Sandler. Uh, always, oh, always our favorite. Um, so, Kevin, you guys had uh, 10 players go into the transfer portal. You've landed six guys coming into your program from the transfer portal. Was uh, Has this offseason been everything you expected when you took the job? Um, Only maybe because I didn't really know what to expect. <laughs> uh, 
just, you know, like, you know, kind of like we said from the beginning, we just had sat down and, and has still had honest conversations with everybody that's in the portal and, and we want everybody to be happy. And, you know, some have, have gone elsewhere and some guys have come in. So, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's I, I just think that's going to be the norm from here on out. Uh, and I think as the, the portal continues to be, what it is, I, I, I think over the next few years, you're just going to see a lot more guys coming back uh, to whatever school they they uh, enter the portal from. I just think that's going to be a much more common occurrence until the pendulum kind of swings back to the, the players wanting to make sure to hold on to the scholarship as opposed to seeing what's out there. Yeah, great point because, I mean, thousands are in it now between men and women's basketball and football. And, I mean, you know as well as anyone, at some point the scholarships are going to run out and kids are going to be taking the risk of going in with I guess without naming names, what would you put a percentage at? And I, I'm not sure where you feel about this bringing a kid back, but do you believe anyone in the portal now could come back to you and say I'm I'm going to stay? And and what would your thoughts be on it? Yeah, I think uh, I think we, we could see that. And um, but it, the one thing that you know when when we had the conversations with the guys going into the portal that, that we, unfortunately, you know, it, it's just it's not a situation where you can have your cake and eat it too and. Mm-hmm. So, you know, while we, we, we assure the guys that have wanted to enter that we'll do everything we can in our power to help them find the spot that they're looking for, whether it's here or wherever, you know, we also have to prepare as if they're not going to be back. Right. And, and it's hard. It's a real hard conversation to have because you're looking at somebody that you love and care about and kind of saying, like, Almost, you know, you know, we want what's best for you, but you also have to appreciate and understand that that we have to do what's best for UNLV, and and you want it to work out best for both parties. Sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. So, Kevin, looking at the uh, roster you guys have assembled, and you still have a few spots left, but is it a fair characterization to say this is a defense-first roster that you've assembled? Oh, it's more than fair. I think uh, that that's something we. we when we first sat down as a staff, even before Carlin and, and Brandon joined, uh, you know, we just, we really talked about just how we had to get better, um, that, that we had to get better defensively. And that's, that's where we kind of put a priority. And, and while the guys that we brought in initially or the first few signings didn't uh, necessarily play a ton of minutes or have a, a great offensive stat line, they came from defensive minded programs. So uh, we're hoping that we can resemble kind of that approach that they that they're familiar with and have been a part of the last couple of years. Yeah, defensively also tell me like when you look at the league and you know the league well and you see the teams that have done well is it is it also when you go into your own conference and say okay, I know what they're going to have next year, they're going to have next year or in the foreseeable future. This is the team they've been I also should recruit to that to start, you know, you got to win your conference first. I mean, is there any of that or are you building it in your likeness of how you want you guys to play and you're not really worried within the league of what other people have? Yeah, we don't really worry about what other people have as much as just trying to get the style and the, and the, the, you know, the type of play that we want to have, which, you know, we all feel that as the seasons, you know, progress and as the, as the, you know, the, the games get tougher and, and you get into conference that, that the defensive minded teams usually prevail. And right. so, yeah, we we don't spend a lot of time worried about other people's lineups, but we're you know we're we're, we're just happy and and you know interested in the kind of the guys we have and how we can kind of get them to play together and get better. Uh, 
Kevin, do you think you have enough shooting on your roster right now? Uh, I'm assuming you don't. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no I, I think that's something, yeah. I mean, obviously adding Justin Webster, he's, he's a, a shot maker. Likes him out of high school, do him. And, uh, you know, but again, we, we feel that Jordan and Donovan, you know, with, with higher – uh, usage rates and more opportunities to build their confidence that they'll shoot it. And, and like you mentioned earlier, we might not be done. Uh, you know, if somebody comes in the portal that comes across our desk that we know and like and feel that we can help or the help that'll help the team win, we'll absolutely uh, do our best to, to add them. Obviously, yeah. in some cases, like like you bring it in Victory Walker, who's coming from Oklahoma, you, you have Carlin Hartman on staff, he knows him well, but how exactly do you go about projecting how good a, a Jordan McCabe will be or a Royce Ham will be when they didn't get those minutes at their previous school? Like, how do you say, okay, that's what they were, but we think he'll be this at UNLV? Well, Jordan McCabe's a little different because, you know, we did, you know, in his freshman year, we, we got to watch him up close, you know, watch, I got to watch him firsthand. So we you know, saw his movements, saw how he played, his confidence was going, and then last year, you know, with, with the kid they they had playing kind of more of that primary ball handler at West Virginia, that, you know, his role just kind of diminished a little bit. But still knew from what I had seen with my own eyes that, that he is more than capable, I think, of running a team and, and making shots and, and building his confidence back up. And, and kind of the same with Donovan Williams, just watching him, uh, you know, play in, in high school and recruiting him and, and kind of knowing the type of player he is. And it's not like they went to places and and weren't playing because, you know, they just couldn't get it going. They I think they, just, they were kind of in situations where the guys in front of them were older or maybe just a little faster. And, and so they just kind of didn't have quite the same opportunity. Uh I, I don't know. We retweeted this yesterday. There's a montage out there right now. You might have seen it of like 20 new college basketball coaches at different places around the country who all in their introductory press conference really made it a point to say we're going to do things and win the right way. Now, your press conference was pretty, pretty broken up. We didn't hear half of what you said. Please confirm you said you're going to win the right way. And if you didn't, how are you a head basketball coach in college? Well, we are going to win the right way. <laughs> there you go. We can we can use that one, right? Yes, yes. You can use that. Yes, exactly. Okay. No. Uh, yeah, I know. No, we uh, we absolutely. Uh, I'm sure we said it somewhere along the line. Uh, Kevin, I, I want to ask you about your about the schedule because obviously you had a lot of games wiped out because of COVID last year. So I, I don't know what happens to contracts, but like UCLA, Cal, SMU were on the schedule last year. Where are those games in particular and as, as regards to making them up or playing them again next season? Yeah, I think there's a lot of – it's kind of a little bit of a tricky situation because we're kind of in that, you know, that combination of the two years where, you know, on one side people are saying, well, we've got to honor the contract from last year. And on the other side, some people are saying that that year's a wash. Like nothing really counts from last year, and we've already got these dates and these contracts set for this year. So we're just trying to make that blend and work, but we haven't run into anybody in terms of our con or our scheduling that's that's been hard to deal with or hard to work with. Every everybody's trying to make it work because I think everybody everybody went through the same thing. So you know everybody appreciates how hard it was last year to get things going and, and make things work. And you know it's probably going to be another year here where 
I don't, there will be some later additions and, and changes to the schedule than there would be in a normal basketball year. And, but uh, everybody's been great. Deshaun Henry has kind of led that charge. You know, we've teamed up in doing that and, and kind of learning what we can about and talking to people and, and just trying to make it work. And so far it's, it's really been as easy as it probably could be. Cause like I say, you know, you got some people that say, Hey, we had a contract two years ago that we're going to do things this year. And you got people last year saying, you know, we, we've got to just carry it over and, and we just got to make it all kind of blend together. What's your, you know, certain guys have philosophies in terms of non-conference. It's different in football because you only get like three or four cracks at it. Do you have a philosophy that you'd like to stay West Coast because of recruiting? You'd like to get to the, you know, you, your own ties in the Midwest. I mean, what's your philosophy? How many power fives you want to play comparative to others? Do you have a philosophy year to year on what you tell your guys, this is who I want to play? Um, not really. We don't, I mean, the game obviously just needs to make sense. And, and the, uh, I think what gets lost a lot of the times is the class schedule. You know, if we, we don't want our guys missing classes if they don't need to, um, you know, go, if you're going to play somebody, you know, in New York, it's, you know, you're not flying out probably the morning before and flying up back after the game. So a lot of those kind of things go into account, um, during the, during the, while well, school's in session, of course, but, uh, no, we, I mean, we we're excited, you know, we, we had the, games with you know ucla cal and and some really good pac-12 schools and you know trying to get a lot more you know in the southwest where you know there's some traditional rivalries you know going all the way back to tart days but um no and i think you know now with with tv and travel kind of just being more of the mainstream thing i think it's just you know we'll, we'll play a game if it makes sense and if somebody wants to play it we'll we're all ears uh, what is, are there any recent updates? How have your recent conversations been with Arthur Kaluma? Yeah, just ongoing talks, just always ongoing talks and, uh, just being, being as honest and open and, and as trans, transparent as we can be. Do you get, do you get the sense? Do you expect him to be, uh, at UNLV in the fall or before then? Um, yeah, I, I, I just think, you know, we just continue to talk, we just continue to talk and, uh, Kind of see what's what's best for everybody, and and hopefully everybody's happy at the end. Do you? I mean, obviously, uh, I don't know if you knew this or consider it, but was it weird to hire uh, Joe Exotic, Tiger King's son, to be on your staff? <laughs> it That's was weird. Strange, I, I, I I didn't find that out until <laughs> you know he got here. So I, I was a little mad that he kept that <laughs> from us because I think that was everybody's favorite, you know, guilty pleasure over the quarantine. So. <laughs> But now that we've got a tie to Joe Exotic, I mean, we are headed in the right direction. Huh? Well, you're going to do things the right way, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Like, all right, that's that's the thing you got to work on with Brandon Chappelle, though, because still, if, if you Google just the name Brandon Chappelle, <laughs> the first thing that pops up is Tiger King, who's the mother of Joe Exotic's son, Brandon Chappelle. And then it's, and then it's your Brandon Chappelle's Twitter handle is the second hit there, so... <laughs> Listen, you guys got to, you guys got to, I don't know if you want it or not, but you got to work on it for him. So Brandon Chappelle is actually Brandon Chappelle, the basketball coach and not Brandon Chappelle, Tiger King's <laughs> secret son. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea how to do any of that. Uh, <laughs> so I think he's just going to have to own it and you know, be honest with everybody. And if he's, if he's got a secret that he needs to share it with us, that'd be a pretty cool secret. <laughs> Have you have you figured out yet? Because we brought that Sandler clip back of Lon Kruger erupts. I'm interested now that you're in the lead chair. 
we will erupt. Like, like, have you thought about that, or are you just going to take it second by second in terms of the reaction to things and kind of how your personality will be? Will you? Do you think? I don't think you'll change, but have you even thought about that? Because your dad, when your dad erupted, he had something to erupt about. Like, he didn't do that a lot. He was serious. But how do you think you'll translate to that? Oh, I know. I very much have thought, thought of that of uh, making sure to keep my cool as much as possible. I've well, I've always been known to be a little. Uh, a little maybe more fiery than him and uh, a little more uh, knee-jerk reaction. But uh, uh, that's definitely something that has crossed my mind is uh, making sure to, to, you know, stay stay put, maybe take a deep breath and uh, and go from there. But, uh, no, you're right. If, if, if he's erupting or mad about something, then he's, he's, he's usually right. <laughs> so. Yeah. If Kevin Kruger is going to throw something straight into a ground into the ground after a bad call, what's it most likely to be? Are you throwing like a dry erase marker, the actual clipboard, or are you taking the jacket off and spiking that? <laughs> yeah, probably whatever's in my hand. So I'll just try to stay, uh, you know, keep from holding anything heavy. Well, he is Kevin Kruger, the uh, new head coach for UNLV men's basketball. Kevin, we appreciate the time. Thanks, Kev. No, any anytime, guys. Anytime. Thanks, man. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Hold on. Do you, uh, uh, do you think you have enough shooters? Well, obviously you don't. <laughs> that, that was great, but I also uh, I, I need someone to tweet from the ESPN Las Vegas account. Uh, we're going to do things the right way. UNLV oh, yeah. coach Kevin Kruger. Well, he had to have said it. We didn't hear half of the press conference, but he had to say it. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's the football coach, and we need a, we need a new culture. I mean, there's just certain yes. things you got to say at the opener. Yes. For wow. those of you that don't know, go find wow. Jordan Sperber on Twitter. He tweeted oh, out yesterday great. a montage of approximately 20 head coaches that got hired this year at their introductory press conference saying, we're going to win or we're going to play or we're going to do things the, the right, right way. way. Yes. Because everybody says they're going to do things <laughs> the right way in college basketball. Despite every year college basketball programs being put on probation for not yes. doing things the right way. And those being uh, some of the most successful college yes. basketball programs. Yes. I want to okay. see. Uh, yeah. I wanna, do you think he. Okay. Over under he gets a technical his first year. Oh, I, I got to He'll get one, right? Like you got to get one at some point. There's going to be like a bad call and you're going to just sit there and say, well, maybe my team needs a needs a momentum swing for me getting teed right, up. Right. Like you're going to get one, even even if you're pretty mild mannered about it. Like I have to imagine you're you're always going to get one in a season. Yeah, be good. His dad, like I said, uh, covered his dad. And when his dad got mad, he usually was right about the bad call. Like he, he was always intense with his players, but if he if he ever got went crazy on the rest, like yeah, he's probably right about that one. All right, coming up next, we will finally talk about the European Super League. And Long Kruger erupts. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. The European Super League is still my uh, favorite story to follow the last couple of days in the world of sports. Uh, there are 12 teams, soccer teams in Europe, that are forming their own league. It has pissed off everyone in the world of soccer to the point where the Champions League and their domestic leagues have threatened to kick those 12 teams out and let them go on their own. Now, Real Madrid's president, he is the chairman of the Super League. And 
He talked yesterday. For the first time, one of the people actually in charge of breaking away from this talked to the media. And one of the things he said is that he's sure that the Champions League will not boot the Super League teams. Now, what's interesting is right now, there are four teams left in the Champions League. Three of them are joining the Super League. Uh, there's also the Europa League, which is the basically the NIT of European soccer. Two of the four teams left in that are also joining the Super League. I find it hard to believe the Champions League would boot three of their four teams from the semifinals before this season ends. Well, let me ask you, let me put it in different context, because I agree with you that they wouldn't boot them. Let's say, because we've heard forever, right? We've heard forever there's a split of, of power fives and not. I mean, could you hold a college football playoff right now with Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama playing somewhere else? Like, would you, would you risk the money that would come from having them in, like with the Super League? Would you really risk the money lost, as Bill told us earlier, by just kind of holding to the ground and saying, no, screw you, if you leave, we're going we're gonna to knock you out? Like, I don't think you can do that. I think that would be financial, like, suicide. And it's like in college football playoffs, if you don't have those three or four teams, eh, I guess it's great for someone else that can win it, but do you really think it's a true champion? Yeah, and I mean, in the short term, like if they were to boot the three teams from the Champions League right now, what are you just awarding PSG yeah. the title and you don't you don't play the semifinals or the final? Like that's yeah, come on. a nightmare. I guess you could replace the teams, but even that, it seems like you're losing money for the Champions League. And then, like we talked about yesterday, if you're the Premier League and you boot the, the top six teams, or the big six teams, I shouldn't say top six because they're right, not the top right. six, but like you boot the six teams that have the biggest fan bases. The money. How many yeah. people are? Yeah. How many people are watching West Ham and Leicester? And same for yeah. La Liga. If you boot Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, yeah. who, who's watching Villarreal play Athletic Bilbao or something like that? Like, not many. So it's no. yeah. I I I think they're empty threats, but I, they keep making them, so maybe they're not that empty. Now, one other thing Real Madrid's president said yesterday that I wanted to to highlight here. His quote was. If young people find football matches too long, it may be because they are not interested enough or interesting enough. Or maybe we might have to make the football matches shorter. Ed, have you ever heard anyone complain that a soccer game is too long? I've never heard that. It's kind of the American cliche of baseball, right? But I do agree right. baseball is too long. So like, I do agree with that. When people say, oh, look at these kids in the stands or on their phones. Kids don't watch baseball anymore. Now, I totally agree with that. I've never heard anyone say that about soccer, ever. Part of what's great about soccer is outside of knockout tournaments where you have to have a winner. Every right. single game takes about an hour and 50 minutes. Yeah. Every game is done in a two-hour window. It's, it's phenomenal. Like, we, we're sitting here with baseball where they'll play, they might play for four hours. NFL games might play for three and a half, four hours. Every single soccer game is done in two hours. I have literally never heard someone say soccer games are too long. I've, I've heard the opposite. I've heard praise that soccer games are like the exact right amount of length. This idea that they would make them shorter to, I, those people don't exist. Those people don't exist that they need to appease to make games shorter. Would it be more sensible, and I, I don't think you can do this, maybe this is a future Bischoff's briefs, what if he had said, not the length of it, but again to create more excitement create more scoring like i don't agree with that but if he had said that i'm like okay that makes a little more sense if you're trying to draw like kids in that might not have a huge uh fandom for it more so than like shorten the games which makes no sense yeah i i don't like that i didn't get he talked yesterday said a lot of stuff that was probably more important than that but that was the thing that made you say this guy's an idiot <laughs>